This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. American Ballpark. It's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Better Off Red Podcast. I really do appreciate you folks carving out some time for us today, and I guarantee you will not be disappointed this week. I don't know about you guys, but now that the weather has gotten a little colder, I've entered into full holiday mode. I am now rip-roaring, ready to go for parties Good food, great company, internet shopping, Christmas music, and probably most importantly, corny TV specials like Rudolph and Frosty, and you can throw It's a Wonderful Life in there. I absolutely love this time of the year. And since we've kind of unofficially entered into the holiday season, I am happy to report that I got a head start on the holiday shopping this year and got you folks an early Christmas present in the form of an awesome podcast guest. We're talking about Reds pitcher Dan Straley. But before we get to Dan, I want to mention that Reds Fest 2016 is just around the corner. Over 80 current and former Reds players and coaches are scheduled to attend Reds Fest on December 2nd and 3rd at the Duke Energy Convention Center in downtown Cincinnati. Reds Fest has grown to over 300,000 square feet of activities including autograph and photo booths, games, memorabilia, and so much more. The first 11,000 fans through the Reds Fest doors each day will receive a Reds Fest drawstring backpack and get this, a pair of Reds socks. Tickets to Reds Fest 2016 can be purchased at reds.com slash redsfest, in person at Great American Ballpark ticket windows, or at the Duke Energy Convention Center on Friday, December 2nd, starting at 9 a.m., and Saturday, December 3rd, starting at 7 a.m. You've got to join us this year for Reds Fest 2016 on December 2nd and 3rd. I hope to see you there. Our guest today will be at Reds Fest. He was one of the club's biggest surprises of the 2016 season and became arguably the team's most reliable starting pitcher quickly establishing himself as a fan favorite on the field as well as on social media. This is Dan Straley. I'm here with Dan Straley. Dan, are you coming to us today from Springfield? I am. Yeah, here in Springfield, Oregon. Got a nice cloudy overcast normal winter day for us up here. Well, just for an FYI, I did some research for you, and if you live west of 28th Street, then your leaf pickup program begins on November 28th. Then what? November 28th. You can you can drop your leaves off out uh, outside, and they'll pick them up for you. Oh, nice. If you live, yeah, that's, uh, if you're east of 28th Street, it's December 5th. Oh, I'm December 5th then. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, as you're well aware. You live in a very beautiful part of the country, my friend. Uh, do you take advantage of the outdoors up there? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, when, uh, I think uh, probably the third week or so after I got home, I spent a week over in eastern Oregon, uh, in an area called Sumner. I was elk hunting. Uh, for me, it's more about just walking around the woods with the rifle. I've actually yet to, to bring home an elk. But uh, mm-hmm. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. You know, I see a lot of really cool stuff out there. A lot of really cool scenes, uh, everything from snow, wind, rain, just places that people, you know, you don't just stumble upon. And so it's really cool for me. And then uh, tomorrow, actually, is uh, the opening day of archery season. So all, all that will just be from home for me. And uh, it's more of an opportunity just to go out a couple days a week and and uh, spend some time, more time out in the woods, hopefully trying to, to bring home some meat. Now, do you is it Mount Pisgah that's up there? Yeah, Mount Pisgah is uh, a little hiking, uh, like, I don't know, probably two-mile trail, a hiking trail. We have a couple of them out here. 
but Fisher is definitely the most uh, most used. I believe it's a county park where they uh, it's just you get to the top of it and it's just like a 360 degree view of just the whole area I live in, the whole Willamette Valley. So it's, it's a really cool, really cool hike, and there's a lot of a lot of little stuff like that. Actually, the the area I live in right now, they're they're building the same thing, a, a similar type of hiking trails up here right behind my house. So I'm interested to see uh, how the traffic changes up here eventually. <laughs> Hey man, you just completed your first season as a red, and I, I think there's no doubt you could be deemed the the pleasant surprise of the team this year. Can you give us a general overview of how your time in Cincinnati went for you personally, not just statistically, in 2016? Yeah, you know, I really, I really enjoyed it a lot. You know, I saw myself having a successful season when I left home. You know, last February, I had no clue where my season was going to be. Um, Right. You know, I didn't. I didn't know much about Cincinnati other than the two days I spent there my entire life prior to that. <laughs> and so it was mm-hmm. kind of like a, it was kind of like a really weird experience that first week. But then we got there, and you know, we just we got an apartment, and we weren't sure how long we were going to be here, if we were going to be here. You know, we just, there's so many unknowns at that point of the season that uh, you know we we finally we got a place. And we settled in a little bit, and you know, then we started kind of developing like our favorite restaurants in the area. We started developing you know mm-hmm. daily habits in terms of like going for walks and stuff. That's just kind of you know it just it, it turned into a really nice, really nice place for us to be, and we really enjoyed the city. Um, enjoyed uh, just a lot about Cincinnati. I really even like the weather. It was kind of nice to be a little more stable weather conditions as opposed to earlier <laughs> in my career, where it's just hot, cold, hot, cold, no matter where you are. So uh, it's just. There was a lot of really cool stuff that uh, you know, I had no clue that existed in Cincinnati. That was really cool to get a chance to experience. What were some of the things that you liked about the city? Uh, I really liked the. So I lived just. I lived over in Newport, so I really enjoyed being able to walk around those, walk back and forth over the bridges, and go mm-hmm. on some of those running trails. Uh, you know, I went for a lot of morning runs along those trails uh, before I come to the field, and. Uh, you know, just every now and then we would just find ourselves just stopped along some of those benches and just kind of, <laughs> and I almost kind of enjoyed like the slower style of life in the big city that you could yeah. experience there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, that was probably some of my favorite things about it. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully next we get a chance to explore a little more. Uh, definitely, yeah. uh, living so close to the ballpark and, you know, just being right there, like other than the few places we went to away from that kind of area, like we kind of stayed down, downtown for the most part. And I hear there's just a lot more to offer around the whole area. Oh, absolutely. Did your yeah. wife share those sentiments with you? Did she like the city? Yeah, she did a lot. She did a lot. She liked the uh, the ability to just, like, walk to the ballpark. Because in the past in Oakland, it was a, it was, we were about 35 minutes away from the field. So she would spend, like, mm-hmm. all day in the car. And so she really liked the fact <laughs> that I could just drive to work and she could just come basically walk over later. Or the fact that we could just walk over and she could drive over. Like, she really enjoyed that part of it. Uh, you know, just you know, from from her side, like the logistical side, like all the all the people that work at the stadium for like the way she comes into the stadium every day, like she couldn't believe like how friendly all those people were, and it's just <laughs> the little stuff like that makes a big difference to to, sure. the, fam- to the families. I feel like, um, yeah, just, I, I uh, agree with you. Yeah, it was it was a really just a, a, a all around good experience for her. She really enjoyed some of the food, some of the uh, some of the places we were able to walk to, and so it was just, it was yeah. really it was good really good place for both of us we really enjoy it good just before camp broke last year in march you were dealt from the strohs to the padres and then a few days later you were designated for assignment before the reds claimed you what is it like to have to live through that kind of uncertainty even if it's just for a few days it was it was tough like it was really tough so um i knew the whole time at spring training with the astros that that they were trying to trade me um Mm-hmm. That was like uh, day one, basically. Like, you know, you're either going to make this team or we're going to trade you. Like, that was just kind of like how it was laid out. And they started moving me around, like, hey, you're pitching this day. No, now you're pitching this day. And so I just went to the office and said, hey, like, what's going on? And they're like, well, the teams want to see you, but, you know, they can't be here until tomorrow, type of thing. And so mm-hmm. I, I was I was really aware. And as a, as a player, that makes things a lot easier when they're, I guess, that honest with you about what's going on. And so I was really yeah. aware. And so, um, uh, fortunately for me, I got an opportunity to start a game. Went four innings. Uh, it was 
a really good one. Happened to get up no hit. Uh, my first four innings of starting for the year for them. And uh, three days later, we're over playing the Braves, I think, and like mid-game, and I'm just sitting on the bench at spring training. Like, it was one of those games where everybody had to come to for some reason on the road. And like mid-game, AJ had just walked over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, can you come back here for a second? And he just said, hey, man, like, we just traded you to the Padres. Uh, you know, I got to get back out to the game. I'll meet you in there between innings in my office. Please don't take off until, you know, I get a chance to talk to you. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we talked for a few minutes and whatnot. And then, you know, I was on a plane at 7 a.m. the next day. Or you mm-hmm. might been earlier. I mean, I was on a plane first flight out to Phoenix, got to Phoenix, went straight to the baseball field. Uh, we just, you know, walked in, met, met the guy that needed to meet there in, uh, with the Padres. And uh, they said, hey, when can you throw again? I said, well, tomorrow would be my fifth day, so let's do it tomorrow. So they set up a 10 a.m. AAA game on the backfield. And I thought it went, like, great. Like, I thought it went really well. Mm-hmm. And it turns out I got mm-hmm. DFA's like an hour after that game. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so it was just, but I didn't know that. So the next day I came in, I worked out. Uh, the whole time thinking I still have a chance of making the team because, you know, they were just kind of blind on it. And then or I was just blind on it. So I kind of worked out, you know, talking to people. The team had left to go play the AAA team. And there was about five of us that were still at camp, essentially, that were flying to San Diego that night. So I came in and worked out, flew to San Diego the next morning, woke up one of my buddies, uh, had texted me and said, like, dude, what the heck's going on? And that was all the text said. And it's like, not like I was arguing with this guy or anything. So I was like, kind of confused. <laughs> so I go to Twitter and I kind of look around for a second and I see, uh, one of the major, like, one of the major writers wrote that I was designated for assignment. So mm-hmm. immediately I call my agent and just kind of like, hey, man, here's what I just saw. Can you see if this is valid or not? And so he gets on the phone. Uh, turns out it is, it is, that is what happened. And we had, you know, fortunately, I only had three hours until I would know my fate. I had three hours to find wow. out if I was if I cleared or if I was claimed. And wow. I'd known that, like, no one else was claimed all spring training. I was I was pretty nervous for those three hours. But luckily, it was only three hours I had to deal with that. Yeah. And so uh, then the, after that, the three hours passed by, the longest three hours of my life, I feel like. <laughs> um, the, one of the assistant GMs for the Padres called me and just said, you know, in a roundabout way, said I got claimed by the Reds, you know, sorry to have to put you through this, but, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, good luck kind of thing. Uh, right. Within five minutes, uh, I had calls from the Reds, people talking, trying to figure out what's going on. Then you get a call from when you're in these type of situations as a player, the most important person, Gary Wayoff, called me. and uh, <laughs> The traveling secretary. The traveling secretary. He calls me, and it's like 11.15 or 11.30 or something like that. He calls me, and he goes, Hey, uh, so the only way to get you to Cincinnati tonight is if you can you can manage to get to the airport and the flight's in an hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> so wow, I tell him I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm packed up. I'm ready to go. Well, I was packed up, but not as packed up as I needed to be. And at that point, I realized my baseball stuff was at the stadium, and I was at the mm-hmm. hotel. So luckily, San Diego, they're literally across the street from each other. So I. It- Frantically packed up my bag, went over to the clubhouse, got my baseball bag, rushed to the airport, made it to my flight, sat down with about three minutes before boarding. And I was just like, this is, somehow made it, <laughs> flew to Cincinnati, uh, got in like at midnight, then uh, woke up at 6 a.m. the next day, so I had to, I had to go to the, the Great American and go get a physical, and then mm-hmm. hopped on a bus, drove to Indianapolis. Jeez. And then as soon as we got off the bus there, threw a bullpen for for Dick and for Brian and for for Riggins and for Mac and for I think uh Doxy was there. Like it was just everybody was there to watch this bullpen, right? And yeah. it was easily the worst bullpen I've thrown in my entire life. <laughs> but like, it was it was almost like am I supposed to be left handed type of bullpen? And Oh no. Yeah. And it was it was just kinda like, Oh, well, that was all I got. Like after 6,000 miles of flying in the last couple right. days. Crisscrossing you know, like, the country. Yeah, this is what I got. And then, yeah. you know, the next day we had that uh, workout back at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brian just came over and, and just talking, and he just said, hey, yeah, you're in my bullpen. And I was like, wow. 
for the first time I had, okay, I made the opening day roster. And I had my goals <laughs> as a player at that point of what I wanted to do. But I was mm-hmm. also, there was, I was in a, a place where no one had seen me throw. Most people probably sure. didn't even know my first name. You know, it was just like one of those deals where I was just thrown in literally like the last day of spring training. And, right. you know, you, it's not exactly how you, you hope to draw it up in terms of a stress-free environment, but it was the card I was dealt. And uh, just was, you know, it, it, it turns out to be a good story, but it just really sucked at the time. Yeah, I, I, and I think my first, uh, the first time that I saw you, you were actually talking to Gary, and it was, I think you were probably still trying to recover from that that hurricane of travel and, and whatnot, because you were talking about how, I think you had a pair of uh, brown shoes on, but you had a black belt. You didn't even have time to get like a brown belt to match your shoes. And I remember you trying to explain to Gary, like, normally this would be taken care of, but yeah, I thought from that moment it. on, yeah, from that moment on, I was like, this guy's going to be awesome in this clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a lot of Starbucks, dude, and the worst part was... <laughs> From like a, anybody that travels out there, like the worst part was, is that I had zero entertainment with me. It all happened so oh. fast. I was I tried to yeah. down I tried to download some movies on my uh, my iPad, and yeah. they didn't download. I had not a fast enough internet connection, so it didn't download. And then <laughs> like like I had a book, and then it was just kind of like, but I just get so tired from reading that book that I, then I just fall asleep. So I was just doing that cycle for a while, and it just made the yeah. time just crawl by and finally just, yeah oh it was it got pretty grindy but you know it, it worked out well it worked out well yeah. and it was just hopefully hopefully never have to go through that again but uh i can i can vouch for anybody out there who's ever been traded <laughs> that it is it is a stressful time in your life trying to move yourself and get everything rearranged and figured out Sure. Well, it appears that you found some stability here in Cincinnati. Does that does that help you mentally, or is it just something that, no matter what you're doing, you just try not to sweat the small things? I imagine you're a human being. That's got to help you, right? It does. It does. All of us. That's all any baseball player wants is any sort of security. Um, mm-hmm. And whether it's, I guess, a, a false sense of security that you tell yourself you have, or or any sort of security that you can come up with, it's it's how you really kind of survive mentally in this game. Just, this game just, it changes so fast and everything is just, everything's moving so quickly. But to, to come in and to kind of, you know, week after week kind of just add on to, you know, I, I threw okay the first game that got me a second game as a starting pitcher. Threw mm-hmm. okay the second game got me a third game. Third game was much better, fourth game better, fifth game, and it kept going. And it allowed right. me to the point when I did have a little hiccup where it didn't matter. And right. you just keep moving forward. And when you can get mm-hmm. to the point as an athlete, as a pitcher especially, where you can have a bad game, because I feel like bad games as pitchers are a little more amplified as a bad game for a position player. And so when right. you have You're a bad yeah, you've got five days until you go out there and get your opportunity to redeem yourself, where as a mm-hmm. position player, you might get it tomorrow. It might not come tomorrow, but you know, more often than not, for an everyday guy, it's going to come tomorrow. And so... Yeah. You know, as a starting pitcher, you come up there and, and you just build any kind of confidence and to understand that if you're going to have a bad day, that it's not the end of the world is the biggest mind game changer you can come up with. And it's something that when I first came up, I had uh, Bartolo Colon was one of my mentors, mm-hmm. um, one of the veterans on my team. And mm-hmm. he would always tell us as youngsters, we had four rookies in Bartolo. He would always tell us, like, like, hey, like, you know, good game, bad game, like, it doesn't matter. So, you're going to come to the field tomorrow, you're going to go to work, and in four more days, you're going to pitch again. That's all there is to it. Like, there's no reason to worry about what you just did. Like, there's just not. You know, it's this game. And this is coming from a guy that obviously is not thinking about a whole lot about his, where he stands and all that kind of stuff. You know, (laughs) he's at that point where every baseball player wants to be. Show up, play baseball, have fun, work hard, and win baseball games. I mean, that's what the goal is for everybody, to have him. Yeah speak to me that way as a youngster to come in and just be like, hey, man, like, you know, you're making it too complicated. And it took me some time to finally get to the place of that kind of mental state that he was trying to teach me at at a younger age. And it just took yeah. some, some experience and some ups and some downs and, and kind of figuring it out on my own, but kind of having a goal to work towards 
And then once you get there, it's, it's kind of easy to stay there, honestly. So, so just kind of not, mm-hmm. not put pressure on yourself. But to go up there and understand that I'm going to give the best I have every fifth day, good, bad, or indifferent, that's what I had that day. And to accept that, it, it's much easier to play that way. Was there any incentive to when you came over and you said you had that, that bad bullpen and the Reds still took you on? Was there any incentive to, like, I don't know, to, to wow, this team believes in me and they, you know, they saw me through my, you know, through through this bad bullpen. I want to do well for them. Or is it just business as usual? I think it's just business as usual. Uh, that first week of the season, I remember sitting out in the bullpen just going, man, like, okay, day one, I'm genuinely not expecting to pitch day one. I'm just not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a bullpen full of, there was, I think, 10 of us or whatever it was, or nine or eight of us, yeah. whatever it was opening day. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, okay, all of these guys were there all spring training. I was not. Like, I am by, I am like by far the last guy to pitch. And so yeah. I, I, I just kind of observed how the bullpen worked because the other thing that most people probably didn't know is I'd never been in the bullpen before. I had mm-hmm. some innings out of the bullpen when I was with the Cubs very briefly. But it was more of, hey, you're pitching on this day. Hey, you're pitching on this day. And it mm-hmm. was at the very end of the season, there was a couple of times where I was just like, hey, phone rang it with my name. But it was not, yeah. I was never, I was never had the bullpen mentality. And so yeah. I spent the first couple of days just trying to get a routine, trying to get a weightlifting routine, trying to get a running routine, a throwing routine. Uh, you know, I wasn't used to throwing and then possibly having to throw later. That just was never a part of my game. So I was trying to figure out how to prepare for that, talking with uh, some friends, talking with uh, just some teammates, and trying to figure out like you know, how I can prepare myself to do this. And so there was that aspect of it. And then waiting, I want to say it was game six, I finally got in. And I went three innings without a hit. I think I hit somebody, but I went three innings without a hit. And so... Mm-hmm. That, I feel like kind of got the confidence going, and it got my name called two days later. And then that one went well, and that got my name called, again, three more days later. So it was just one of those things yeah. where it, it just kind of, it just started to build on itself from that point. But I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the very first initial uh, we believe in you kind of moment was when they did just keep me on the team. And for all I know, they just needed warm bodies to fill a jersey. I have no clue why they chose to keep me. Maybe they did a really good job of scouting. I don't know. I'm just I'm just very, <laughs> very happy that they did. Because who knows yeah. where else that would have happened to me last year in terms of, of where I would have been had it not been with the Rips. Yeah, I think he had been through enough at least up to that point. So it, it's kind of worked out. Are, the folks that have that watched you last year, Reds fans especially, were probably like, geez, where did this guy come from? Are you the same guy you were in the past, the same pitcher that pitched that when you first pitched in the big leagues, or have you evolved? I've evolved. Or, or ha, ha, I've evolved. yeah, or have you just had bad luck in the past? Or um, I wouldn't you say, say you've bad evolved. Luck. So I, I had a what was it twelve? I first got called up. Um, you know, just really it flew by. Uh, just, you know, you're kind of like that initial like, oh, I'm in the big leagues type of moment, and it was something at seven starts, and you know, we won the AL West. Uh, they're pretty much August on. And then the next year, um, I was up and down a bunch, but I still made 27 starts for the A's. And then the next year, um, I just had a really weak shoulder. And for some reason, I was just not the same pitcher. My arm slot dropped. My every, just kinda, it, just, I, it was just a really, I guess, kind of down time in my career. My just, everything wasn't coming out the same. Nothing really felt right. And that was the summer that, I started off in Oakland, got traded to Chicago. Um, and then it was 4th of July. Yeah, I got traded to Chicago that summer. And it really kind of took me a full year to kind of recover. It really did uh, in terms of getting, correcting my mechanics that uh, had changed and getting myself back to the picture I was. And this, I guess, version of myself that I had last year was the same as 15. Um, mm-hmm. I was just in AAA with the Astros that year. I mean, I had options available. And everybody in the big leagues was throwing the ball really well. And so I just was sitting in AAA with options. And that was kind of where I was at in my career. And I was just waiting for options to run out. And this year when options ran out, that's kind of my, my, my break, if you will, where a team can't just send me to the minor league. Because if they do, someone else will pick me up. 
And right. so I wouldn't say that it, it's not like it's uh, anything new. I mean, there's uh, through a hundred and whatever inning was like almost identical to my Oakland season, almost identical. Yeah. So it's not like this. Yeah, ERA and everything was almost identical. Exactly. And it's just one of those deals where it's like everything lined up just kind of, it, it, it's showing myself, proving to myself that, you know, it's, that's just who I am. And that's kind of the same guy I've always been. I've always kind of hovered around a, a three and a half to four ERA, uh, you know, always giving up some home runs, usually always had more, like way more innings than hits allowed. Just like those mm-hmm. kind of things, like it's been kind of the same every single year. And, you know, it's really not any different in the big leagues than it is in the minor leagues. It's just not. It's just people pay attention to the major leagues, not the minor leagues, really. And so it's just kind of one of those things where, yeah, it's just kind of like the way I've kind of evolved back to where I used to be when I was, you know, yeah. uh, one of the top prospects with Oakland. Yeah. You're a disciple of the well-known pitching program up in the state of Washington called Driveline Baseball headed by a man named Kyle Body, who was prominently featured in Jeff Passan's book, The Arm. Can you tell us a little bit about Driveline and how it's worked for you and your relationship with Mr. Body? Yeah, so uh, we go back to when I talk about my shoulder was weak, right? Yeah. Well, I'm not just going to sit around and like, like hope this thing gets stronger. That's just not going to happen. So I was searching for somewhere, some way that I could get my arm strength back. And that's when I kind of came across Kyle and Driveline, and so mm-hmm. I found a way to get a hold of him. Um, it turned out I went to my, my pitching coach in Houston and said, hey, I've got a pitching program or a throwing program this offseason I want to kind of check out. He said, what's it called? I said, it's called Driveline. He goes, oh, Kyle. Yeah, I know Kyle. We're good friends. I was like, okay, it's going to be easy. And so <laughs> when we were up in Seattle playing the Mariners, uh, Kyle just came to the field out by the bullpen and introduced himself and we talked a little bit and then he just kind of got me set up and I just kind of started it from home. Went up there one day last January and he just kind of like, it started last November, but he started like walking me through the processes and, uh, you know, really just kind of following his stuff on the internet. It's really the, the best way I found to do it, to learn how to do the drills. Hindsight, I probably should have flown myself up to Seattle day one and learned how to do everything, but I just didn't. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just basically a, uh, it's just a full arm program. It's everything from strengthening your arm, maintaining your arm. It's long toss. It's you know the the stuff, the flashy stuff you see on YouTube, and it's it's more of like the fun stuff that we get to do with the program. It's not the day in day out work that gets done, mm-hmm. but um, you know he there's there's a lot of stuff that leads to correlation to velocity gain with what he does. And my goal with him was last year. My goal was to maintain a velocity throughout a start. Basically, yeah. bring my velocity floor up. And that was accomplished. And so we're, I was really happy with that goal of what happened last year. But it just kind of, the relationship just kind of developed over time. Um, you know, it's just where him and I just kind of bounce some ideas off of him on different things. And he just kind of tells me his thoughts on it. And, you know, he's becoming uh, more and more and more, I guess, respected in the business, if you will. Um, in terms of what he offers and what he brings to the table for athletes, for pitchers, there's just uh, it's just one of those things where every every athlete's going to find their own program that works for them, and this was just right. one that I found that worked for me. Yeah, I read that you wanted to get up to uh, you also wanted to get your velocity up. I think you were in the 89 range when you started the program. You wanted to get up, according to what I read, the, to the 92, 94 mark. Were you pleased with your velocity last year? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those deals where I didn't do the velocity program last year for driveline. I basically just did the strength program where I was getting my shoulder strength back. And so this year I'm going to get a chance to dive into the velocity program a little more. So that'll be fun. Um, but, yeah, I used to be 90-94 pretty much. If I dipped below 90, it was it was kind of one of those frustrating moments. But I was had 94 on the arm whenever I wanted it, and I would sit 90, 92, somewhere in there. And that was just kind of younger version of myself. And I was, you know, if I could get back there, that'd be great. But it doesn't mean that I can't be successful unless I get back there. Um, so much of today's game is driven on what we see on those radar readings and everything else. But 
have to understand that there's a lot more to it than just what the radar gun says. There's, you know, without diving too much into it, there's all these spin rates and all this access and everything else that mm-hmm. also plays into it, where our eye kind of tricks us and we start to see things differently than they really appear type of thing in terms of, like, seeing the actual baseball. And so I'm kind of, you know, I, I understand that velocity is a big part of that, and I also understand that adding velocity could change my spin rates, which isn't necessarily a good thing or a bad thing that's kind of, is what it is. It's kind of just, it's just you know, you gain some velocity, but you might lose some spin or, or vice versa. So it's just kind of an ever-evolving process. And I think every pitcher out there wouldn't mind adding a mile or two. And uh, I'm not talking about like pitching at a mile or two higher. I just mean like that every now and then when you really just want to try to throw a fastball by somebody, that you have the ability yeah. to add on to a 93, a 95 range. I think that would be, um, you know, and, and if we're not working towards something, then what are we doing? So that's kind of that's right. kind of why I'm at with the whole program. And, uh, you know, I, I look back to last year, and the reason I'm, I'm very pleased with where my velocity was is I wasn't – I'm not a max effort pitcher. I'm not throwing as hard as I can every single pitch. I'm just not. And so there times when I would do that, and that's when my velocity was up for stretches of time. And then mm-hmm. you kind yeah, of – Yeah, you cranked it up to 96 in August. Up to where? You touched 96 in August. I think it was like 95.8 in August against the Astros. Really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When? Oh, was that this year? That was uh, in August of this year against the uh, Astros, I think, in Houston. You may have had a little uh, adrenaline flowing against your old team there. Uh, no, that was – when was that? When would that have been? We, didn't, we were with I them think... in August. August twenty eighth, maybe, or I, I looked it up earlier today. You, uh, yeah, it was like ninety five point eight. Huh. Oh uh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. Who it was against, but yeah. <laughs> Either way, like so. Apparently, something's working with the program. So we're just trying to trying to just keep everything just going as, as good as I can. Uh, I actually started that program on Tuesday, so just getting everything, getting ready to fire everything back up and get it going again. But yeah, the. Uh, the program is pretty unbelievable. You just kind of, hopefully the sky's the limit with it for us, and uh, we'll just kind of see where everything takes us. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I, I, you know, I read The Arm by Jeff Passon. I'm not sure if you read it or not. That's how I got introduced to what it is and who Kyle is. But I, yeah. I saw that there's a lot of lot of weighted baseballs. There's, uh, the, I think a lot of it talked about building up your shoulder strength with in, in turn helps out your your elbow so did yeah with yeah. that with that being said did you said you after the end of the season you felt great right yeah i think uh like, my i i'm just kind of i'm guessing on this i haven't i haven't looked this up but i would say that i would guess that my last start of the season it was what september 27th i would say that, that was probably the hardest average velocity i had the entire second half of the season wow that's impressive. You're a, you know, the rap on you, Dan, is that you're a fly ball pitcher in a small ballpark. But what I liked that you did this year was you just, you owned that. You owned the fact that you're not a ground ball pitcher. And, you know, I think you didn't let the fact that you're playing in a smaller ballpark affect your game plan and the way you approached things. Um, and, you know, you gave up some home runs, but in reality you still kept kept the team in games uh you had some amazing like run differential stats and uh i think i think maybe that instead of the home runs i think i'm guessing that your goal going into the 2017 season would not be the home runs but lowering your walk rate am am i correct in that yeah and i think uh you know you you kind of look at all that kind of stuff that's for me kind of with the grain of salt will um, you know, Max Scherzer, I, him and I were, we were tied for home runs on the season. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things that kind of shows you that giving up home runs is not, it's not the end of the world. It's truly not. Right. It's, like you said, it's when you walk people in front of those home runs that that's, that's where it really starts to kind of hurt you as a pitcher. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I feel like my walks were definitely up early on in the season. And that's part of it. I'm I'm going to make an excuse for myself. That might have been because I didn't really have the spring training. It was very, right, very yeah. hit and miss, kind of non-traditional spring training, if you will, where I had no routine going. And so 
top second to guess because I was I want to say it started off I was on pace to be well above like the highest walk rate I've ever had in my career, and mm-hmm. it was like three four game. And then there was that one game well where I had like seven walks. I know that was later in the season, but like it's just one of those things where like I I'd never done that before. Most guys I had ever walked in a game before that I think it was like four, and that's mm-hmm. like at any that's at any level going back to probably high school. Like, it's just not a part of my game. So that part was kind of frustrating at times, and I think part of Part of it might have been just I'm not afraid to walk people. Like, I'm not afraid to throw my pitch when I want to throw it. And I'm either going to get you or you're going to get me. And that's just kind of like the the line I walked all summer. And, you know, it, it, I definitely think there's room for improvement there. But, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't try to worry about trying to keep the ball in the ballpark a little more or trying to do this, but eliminating more walks, getting to that, you know, goal of, of whatever it is, walk rate, trying to just keep it as low as possible. I think to me that's something that really speaks volumes is, is just keeping the ball over the plate and making guys earn everything they get, not giving them any bases. Yeah. One, you know, one of the many superlatives that you had in 2016, it was a stat that really kind of blew my mind. And it, I'll read it off for you, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it. I think you actually brought it to Rob Butcher's attention in the year. You... Jake Arietta and Tom Kohler of the Marlins led led all of baseball, all the major leagues last year, with 11 starts in which you threw six innings and allowed three hits or fewer. Did, you're aware of that, right? I'm very aware of it. So uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a Dan Straley fan page on Facebook that is run by uh, a buddy of mine that lives in California. Uh, he does analytics for a living, and so he just – he has, in his free time, he kind of runs the Dan Straley fan page. And so he finds some of, like, the craziest out-there stats that you could, like, possibly find. And that was one of them. Like, I, I kind of, how would you even think to, like, look that up? Type of thing? Yeah, exactly. But yeah. then you kind of look back at it, and it's kind of like, like, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, in my mind, I was impressed by that number myself. I'm not even realizing what it really meant at first. Just kind of being like, oh, cool. And then I kind of thought about it, and I was like, okay. So the next game, I remember I was pitching a game. I had five and two thirds or something, and I had three hits on the board. And I remember sitting there thinking, I looked and I knew I was getting close. Like I told Brian, was kind of on the fence, like, am I going to get him or not? I got a quality start on the line. Like, you know, you just kind of like all this kind of stuff going on. We got a lead in the ball game, a short lead. And I was just kind of like, all right, this is it. I got to get this guy. Like, I can't I can't give up a hit here. And I got him out. And it was the 11th one. And I was just kind of like, that was, that was kind of cool for me to like, to like understand like that was going on. So that, it's kind of like those little goals that you kind of have to set for yourself. Yeah. Because it's a long season, and you got to have right. small goals along the way, or it just feels like just an, just an overabundance of just everything coming at you. So once I found out, I think I actually started, you know, I was first informed about that stat, about start number eight. Yeah. And so. Yeah, we, once we found out about it, we started putting it in our game notes. And it was something that we really were kind of proud of. And it, like you said, it's a long season. So it's small stuff like that that we would pay attention to. Like, okay, Dan's on the mound. He's got he's given up two hits. He's, in the, he's yeah. thrown five innings. Let's do this. So, like, it would be another, like, game within the game that we would watch in the press box. And we were definitely yeah. cheering for you. And in the end, um, you know, that criteria, your 11 starts, six innings with three hits or fewer, turns out it's a fr- Reds franchise record. We checked with Elias. Oh really? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're the only red since 1869 that's ever done that. That's not a bad thing, right? No, nah, not bad at all. Not yeah. bad at so all. So you figure there's going to be a couple hits coming up. One was probably going to go over the fence, and Billy Hamilton was <laughs> probably going to make a West Ham type catch. That's what you're going to get every fifth day. Every Dan Straley day. Yeah, like it was just one of those. Oh man, it was just one of those things where it's kind of like. That's just kind of what happened every time I pitch. There's a home run, and Billy did something crazy. How great is he out there? He's like, he's just fun. Man. He's fun to watch. Uh, it's really fun to watch when it, it's the guy that hits the ball off of you that he's chasing down. But, like, he makes, like, stuff that, like, most people would, like, be laying out for. He's, like, just jogging under it and stuff like that. Like, a lot of, <laughs> and he, he's there. You saw it every day. Like, it's just, it's impressive. But, yeah. he's, uh, you know, he, yeah. he's definitely a special talent. And, uh, you know, I... I hope we get the opportunity to play with him for, for a long time. I would not mind having him <laughs> run the center field for the rest of my career. Oh, I bet. Hey, you gave a lot of credit to your success this year to Tucker Barnhart and Mac Jenkins. Can you tell uh, us 
a little bit about what they particularly helped you with? Yeah, so we go back to talking about the evolution of myself. And uh, one of the things that was that evolution was Mac and Tucker forcing me to make certain pitches that they knew would be successful, that I was kind of, again, at the very first, uh, throwing those pitches, where uh, it was just something I wasn't bought into at first. And they, over time, really helped me like kind of buy into that, that concept, those ideas. And their ability to prepare and have a game plan ready to go for me was amazing. And more often than not, it lined up with exactly the prep work I did mostly because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that I studied came from Mac, but the other stuff that I would come up with on my own or that uh, that guy that I was talking about earlier, Mike Fisher, he would come up with, like, they kind of just, like, bounce and stuff off each other about certain hitters. He, like, they would always match up with what they had to say. So it was just really nice to always be on the same page. And they really understood what I was trying to do as a pitcher, and they really helped me understand what I needed to be doing as a pitcher to get more out while giving up less Yeah. That's great. Well, we're going to have to address the elephant in the room, the hitting. Yeah. You went, uh, you went one for 52 this year at the plate, but you know, and I'm not trying to kiss up to you or anything and I'm not just trying to be polite, but I don't necessarily remember you ever looking that bad in the batter's box. Like compared to like when Cueto first came up, he looked like he didn't know where he was when he batted. But you honestly look fine. You just didn't get any hits. So I spent the whole summer trying to start my swing early enough to hit the ball fair. <laughs> like it was like everything. I felt like I was. I mean, let's okay. Let, let's start this over. <laughs> by far, by far the worst hitter. I understand that on the team, hands down. I understand that. <laughs> but, but understanding like of what I had to try to do to put the ball in play. It, right. it was everything I had. And I was just trying to figure out how to get my swing down, get my foot down, get everything started earlier. And I, I hadn't tried to swing a bat really since high school. So it's been almost yeah. 10 years. You know, I had a couple <laughs> of bats here and there, but this was, this summer was the first time that I ever like was trying to actually hit. <laughs> so just assure everyone that you're working on it before they lose their minds. Yeah, and it was just, it was bad, but, you know, I think that elephant is definitely gone because I got that hit. And so uh, I kind of got that weight off my shoulders, if you will. Uh, I wasn't, I was I was getting kind of embarrassed, if you will, that I wasn't putting the ball in play. Like, I know that, that not many guys get hit. Like, what, right. what Brandon Finnegan led our team with, what, seven or eight hits? Mm-hmm. And so I was proud enough that I could get a bunt down. Um, you got often, 11 of them down. More often than not, yeah. And that was, yeah. what, tied with Billy for the team yeah, lead? and the, the team lead. lead. Uh-huh. It was, it was right up there. I mean, like, I was proud of that aspect, but I was also embarrassed of the strikeout and just the lack of putting the ball in play. And so that's something that I'm going to focus on next year, just giving Ryan the ability to uh, maybe hit and run with me or stuff like that, trying to become a better hitter right. that way where yeah. I'm not just an automatic strikeout. But I do offer something more to the team because it's not just going to help the team out, but I think a lot of things, too, that people might not realize is if I'm up there hitting, I'm not trying to get out. I'm trying to get on base or score a run because ultimately that's the game that's on my shoulders. That's my responsibility sure. as a starting pitcher for that day is to go out there and win that ball game for my team. And that's what's on my shoulders that day. And so it, it can only help me by getting better. Yeah, and, and, you know, we talk about it in jest, but it is an important part of the game. I mean, you know, when pitchers go up there, they're expected at times to, you know, get the job done. And was there any ever, like, you know, at some point where did anybody approach you, like did Don Long say, look, we need to work on this? Or uh, were they just like, we'll let we'll let them go? Yeah, they, uh, they all kind of helped me out a little bit. Uh, everyone from, you know, Coach Art, Jay just kind of poking fun at me to Joey telling me that that, that ship has sailed, like, good luck. And then, just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, it's all in good fun. It really is. Like, but Right, yeah. I'm, I'm also talking to some of the best hitters in the world, and there's me just trying to put a ball in place. So it's just kind of like one of those things. But they, uh, Tucker helped me a lot. And then, you know, Tony Armillo really was kind of the 
the, the hitting coach for the pitchers. And so he was the guy that really yeah. spent the time with us day in, day out to help us. And probably one of the more prouder guys in the dugout the day that I finally got that first hit. Well, because, let's talk about that. It's September twenty yeah, eighth against the Pirates. Yeah, you uh, you you. It was off Ivan Nova, who was absolutely no slouch in this game. How fun so, was it for you? So it's just like any other time. I just swung, hope they hit it, trying to get my foot down, trying to get my swing early, <laughs> and it was like the moment I kind of hit the bat. I realized, a, I realized I hit the ball, and b, I realized it was <laughs> through the infield, and then. Right. The other part of it was, as I was told before the game, like, as soon as you hit the ball, run through first base. So he said that the guy in right field will try to throw you out at first. And he goes, you got no shot of pulling the baseball. You're going to hit it to right field. He's going to try to throw He's gonna try to throw you out. So, like, I just took off down the line. Like, I was probably two or three steps, and I realized, like, he, yeah, he was going to try to throw. And so I just kept going and, and got through there. And it's just like, it, it might have been the most excitement I had in baseball. Like, just honestly. <laughs> just like, overcome. Like, I, the last thing I wanted to be was the Major League record holder for over to start a career. Right. I did not want to, John Lester owns that record. I did not want to pass him. And <laughs> I knew I was getting close. I knew I probably still had, you know, another third of a season to go. And so I knew I was going to have this year to get it done. But it was just one of those deals where I just was really trying hard not to be that record holder dude wait till you go deep oh please gonna go nuts <laughs> I might go nuts where's your base where's the baseball your the single that you got where's the baseball now uh currently it's actually just in a bucket in my garage uh it is ah. uh it's actually mixed in with all the driveline balls i brought home but it nice. will have a spot on the mantle i got some autographs this summer so it'll have It'll have a spot on there with the the, the autograph page that I collected this summer, so it'll be it'll be good. Cool. Before we get to some Twitter questions, I got one more for you. It's a general question about the team. The 2016 season as a whole wasn't very kind to the Reds in terms of win loss record. But do you like the direction that this franchise is going from what you can see? Yeah, for uh, a guy that's only been around the franchise for where are we at nine ten months now. Um, yeah, that you know, I definitely see kind of the vision that they've been working on, that they've been building for, and I don't know how close we are. I don't think anybody knows how close we are to being that contender because all it's going to take is the right group, and no one knows what the right group is um, to play at their potential for an entire season. And so, the guys that are in this clubhouse right now, at this moment, if you will, are very capable of doing that I feel I feel like the second half we really showed who we were and we still made mistakes and still lost games we should have won but we got more confident and we got better as a group and so I feel like there's just really I guess we really there's only one way to go and that's us and it's like we have the right group of guys to head that direction very good uh, so we're, we're going to get some to some Twitter questions now. The first one's from Braxton. He wants to know what it's like playing only three hours from your uh, from the place that you went to college in uh, in Marshall at Marshall Marshall in uh, West Virginia. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, I hadn't been back there until actually I went the day after the season ended uh, this year. I went back there for a day, but I hadn't been back there since I left there in '09. So that was kind of cool. Um, a lot of people would just be going out Marshall stuff, going out, you know, we are or uh yeah. just different different Marshall things. Like when I just be out in the outfield during batting practice, try and give him a wave or when I was on the index circle <laughs> wishing me best of luck to get a hit. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it was kinda cool to have that kind of support. Uh a good number of Marshall fans would come out, you know, Marshall is actually a huge it's big in red country. It really is. Oh yeah, uh, big time. We go we yeah. go out there on the caravan. Yeah, out to Barbersville, right? Or Huntington. But, uh, Huntington, yeah, we we, yeah. we make it out to Huntington. So if you they, have, uh, have an itch to go back, we can put you on the caravan bus. I have a feeling that my name might pop up on that bus. Uh, <laughs> Good. That's the, uh, the the whole fact that you, know, you just get a chance to kind of to have the two different parts of my life kind of intertwined just a little bit is uh, it's kind of right. cool yeah. to have have those two connected a little bit. Yeah. 
This one's from, uh, let's see, Don. He says, glad the Reds found you, Dan. What is your plan to improve for next season? What do you, and what do you think the team needs to do? Uh, let's see. My plan is to just continue to develop as a pitcher. You know, find, mm-hmm. uh, refine my pitches constantly. Uh, you know, it's going to be different. No matter who you are, every year is going to be a little different in terms of your mechanics, your just the way your body balances, just everything. You know, we ain't getting any younger out there. And so uh, it's just one of those things where it's just going to be a little bit different. And so it's just finding what I'm best at next year and exploiting that year to year. That's how it's always been. Obviously, it's generally pretty close to the team it was just the year before. But over time, everything does kind of evolve. Um, You know, and and in terms of what the team needs to do, I really have have no clue. You know, I really don't. (laughs) Um, I feel like the guys that we have right now are really good. And you have we have no idea what the front office is going to do in terms of mm-hmm. preparing a roster for next year. Uh, there's a lot of time between now and then, and they just, I don't know, there's a lot of really good talent in the clubhouse, and, I mean, there's always the, the question in baseball is, is do you get younger or do you add on and go for it? That's kind of where every team is at every year, I feel like. But like every other team I've ever been on, in the off season and going into the season, they'll feel like we're going to be winners next year. I mean, otherwise, why even show up? And so right, yeah. that's just kind of where I feel, you know, last year it's over, it's done. And I haven't had to, I guess, deal with a losing season before this last year. This is the first time I was on a losing team. And it was, it was, it was, it was a little odd. But sure. the one thing that I can tell everybody that's listening out there is that in the clubhouse, it was never for us. It was never like uh, we suck type of feeling. It was never like, it, you would have, if you would have sort of walked into our clubhouse, and you could probably attest to this too, being in there daily, that we kind of had an atmosphere of a group of winners. We were not, absolutely like we mm-hmm. were not down on ourselves. We weren't, you know, everyone just came in, got their work done. And over time, that work started to show up on the field for everybody. And so mm-hmm. it was just, uh, it's one of those things, I think everything is kind of in place for their plan that they've developed and everything's in place and moving itself in the right direction. Very good. Uh, Craig wants to know if you can petition Brian Price to require the entire pitching staff to grow a beard. Seeing Homer with a black straley beard is the goal. You know, but Homer can't grow anything but a mustache, so that's out the window right there. <laughs> um, uh, Cody Reed, I mean, his is not actually painted on. He just maintains it like every other day. Um I was proud of I was proud of uh, of Steve Scafani for actually growing out a beard. Yeah, uh, that's I right. Thought, you know, I thought it looked way better with the beard. Then again, I mean, he just needs to let that thing go and not touch it. But we have <laughs> we have rules in the clubhouse, and yeah. uh, you know, we it's like anything else. You can push, you can push and bend some of the rules, and you just can't break all of them. And you know, I definitely there was times this year where I definitely pushed the limits on uh, I think Brian's comfortability on. On, uh, on our facial hair policy, um, but at the same time, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles. And so I just, when I could, I could tell he was getting ready to say something, I was just kind of just throwing <laughs> down a little bit. But uh, yeah. no, I mean, I, the day I showed up to, to the red, my beard was pretty long. It's looking pretty good right now too, actually. I haven't touched it since uh, <laughs> the all star break, so it's looking pretty good right now. But uh, yeah, I, I really kind of hope that. That, that would be something that would change, but at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world if we have to keep our beards maintained. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the mascot's got a mustache, right? So, I mean, it kind of endorses facial hair. Exactly, and that's why he said we can have as long a mustache as we want. <laughs> what is it, uh, this one's from Matt, what is it about the red jerseys that you like so much and want to wear them for each start? And let's we'll do, do a little backstory here. Uh, I I got tons of Twitter questions when the Reds would play at night and they'd be wearing their red jerseys, which are typically reserved for day games at Great American Ballpark. But when you pitched, you preferred the red jerseys. So let me just tell you how that whole thing started, right? I uh, I was walking around the clubhouse. Rick was back there. The clubhouse manager was back there. And it was a night game. And I just saw, you know, obviously we're wearing white jerseys. So I just said, like, how come no one ever wears Where's the red during the night game? Like, because most of the teams you're on, like, the starting pitcher just picks the jerseys for the day, pretty much every single day. And for a lot of the teams I've experienced. And so I was kind of like asking, just 
out of what I knew. And so I just said, how come no one ever wears the red at night? It's just the white's always hanging. And he just said, like, that's just kind of the way it's always been. And I just said, okay, like, that's, that's, that's fair enough. I mean, there's a ton of tradition here, so I'm not, you know, and he goes, you know, well, if, you're, if you want to wear the red, just say something. Yeah. And so I just kind of, you know, this is like the day after I started, so I was like, yeah, you know, probably, like, you know, the next time, next time I picked it home at night, you know, might be something I'd be interested in. And so then that game came around, and I get to the ballpark about, you know, 4, 4.15, and the red jerseys are hanging up. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> nice. yeah, perfect, let's do it. Um, yeah. And I threw well that night, and so I just kept on with it. Just kept on with it. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to, like, go against anything that, that, that the Reds had, you know, known for tradition or anything like that. Oh, yeah, it was, right, it was right. Just, it was just as simple as I wore the red jersey that night, threw well in it, kept throwing in it. It was really that simple. Um, you know, and it's just one of those things where it just kind of, I, I saw it, too, where it kind of it kind of got blown up a little bit when people were kept asking, you know, why are we doing this? Why is he doing that? And, you know, it's... It, I figured if it was really an issue, I'd be told, hey, you need to wear the white at night and the red during the day. But, you know, I figured I was picking a lot of day games anyway, so most of my games at home were in red anyway. So it yeah, kind, of kept, yeah. kind of kept it going. Absolutely. Speaking of Rick, he calls you Ace Straley. That's one of my favorite nicknames from 2016. Is it something that you're that you're fond of, and do you have any other nicknames? Uh, I think uh, at first it was like day, it was like the day after my very first, start as a red and i was kind of like hey easy easy a little little too soon to be throwing that kind of name around <laughs> and, uh, and he was just like he said no he goes, I, I, have, I have a really strong feeling he's like i've been around baseball a long time he goes, i have a really strong feeling that you're really going to lead this club this year and i was kind of like yeah whatever like so he just was relentless he was relentless with it every single time he saw me he refused to call me dan he just called me eight straight the rest of the year and so i kind of <laughs> I was kind of final six at first. It was just like to me, and then it would be like in front of like a bunch of people. He'd be like, "Hey, hey, what do you need?" And I'd be like, <laughs> "Come on, Rick." It's just one yeah. of the things that it, it's what we all strive to be, but it's one of those things yeah. that's like it's better off just kind of known than that, and just kind of like one of those things where you just really that, that's what you want to be. Everybody that, that takes the baseball as a starting pitcher wants to be safe. That's just what you work for, and so it's just one of those things where it was it was kind of cool just to have have him say that and then it started other people started saying it and it, it was kind of a, a cool feeling to have um yeah. yeah and then the only other nickname was uh Cozart day one don't know why but he started calling me thunder and <laughs> thunder dan yeah and so the whole rest of the season before you know it, like everybody's calling me thunder <laughs> it's kind of way I, love it. I love it Dan Straley, it's been a pleasure tra- chatting with you. you. You you went above and beyond the call of duty today to to hang out with us for an extended period of time, and I think Reds fans out there are, are going to be really happy to hear you and uh, hear your stories and what you have to say. So, man, it's been a pleasure, and I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Anytime I'm around, doing a bunch of nothing out here in Oregon, just listening and waiting for the next day and, and resting up for next year. So whenever you guys want to chat, let me know. All right, man. Well, we'll see you at Reds Fest. Uh, yeah, we got, what, another two weeks or so? Yes, sir. Yes, I sir. I fly out there on my birthday. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That'll be cool. Hope the weather's good. <laughs> yeah, probably not, but nothing I don't live with back here. <laughs> Make sure you download some movies this time. I will. Well, last time, I just came back from vacation with my wife, and we got... Uh, we got onto the, the airplane and our seats weren't by each other. And so Oh no. I was like frantic. I had nothing. I had no entertainment. And it's like a it's like a five hour flight. So I was like, all right, so I was quickly uh, sliding through podcasts and I ran into your podcast and actually downloaded an episode and that's what I listened to for the first hour until Oh, I, thanks, I, I, man. Yeah, it was, it was, I needed something and I was like, Oh, that'll download quick and so it was actually the first podcast I ever actually even downloaded, so it was kind of kind of funny timing for you just to ask me to come on on your podcast <laughs> right after that. Well, I'm honored. I'm touched. Thank you. It was, it was good. Save the day for me. All right. All right, Dan. Well, thanks again, man, and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. Dan is so good at bringing fans into the normally top secret world of the baseball player's life. He's one of those guys who could just as easily be the next-door neighbor you borrow sugar from as the big-league pitcher who just threw a three-hit shutout. I really enjoyed chatting with Dan and appreciate 
his unique insight into his profession and baseball in general. He's really a good guy and an absolute gem in not only the Reds rotation, but the Reds clubhouse as well. Dan was one of my personal favorite things about the 2016 baseball season, and I hope he continues to excel in 2017 and beyond. A big thanks to Dan for taking the time out of his busy off-season schedule to spend some time with us. Join us next week as legendary Reds PR man Jim Ferguson joins us to talk about some of the historic moments he lived through while on the Reds payroll. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, thank yous go out this week to the Cincinnati Reds and to my main man, Nick Prince, the best technical director in the podcast universe. Without Nick, this Better Off Red podcast would not exist. Thanks again for joining us for the Better Off Red podcast. I'm Jamie Ramsey. We'll see you next week. Expect good news.